Hello and welcome to the Royal College of Speech and Language Therapists news podcast for August 2022. I'm Vicky Harris and today I'll be chatting with Derek Munn, RCSLT's Director of Policy and Public Affairs, for our regular monthly catch-up. We'll be looking at how politics and public affairs impacts on speech and language therapy. Good morning, Derek. Hello. So a key focus for the RCSLT right now is children's services. I wonder if you could please talk us through the main issues and the steps the RCSLT is taking. Thanks, Vicky. I'll talk in general terms um, later in my answer, but I think I might kick off by talking about the review of SEND, Special Educational Needs and Disability, in England. Because for those members and people with speech, language and communication needs, uh, children, this is a massive area for people, for those members who who work in in that field. We've waited a long time. It was delayed, I think, seven times, the the review of, of SEND. And when we saw it, it wasn't so much that we disagreed with it. It was just that it was wholly insufficient. So... It's positive that the government acknowledge that what has transpired from the Children and Families Act 2014 is not working. That, you know, governments don't always admit that. They say the system's not working. Now, their proposals to deal with it are simply not sufficient to the task, not least because they do not address the question of resources. So, in our response, which we've co-produced with members and also with parents and young people, which we're very pleased about. We've offered detailed comments on the proposals as they stand, but they're not actually formed enough to give a considered view. So we've gone on to say, look, if you want to fix the SEND system in England, we think there are six areas you need to look at, and we've broken down in detail what we think needs to happen in respect of funding, in respect of workforce, in respect of going much further in requiring joint commissioning, in respect of early intervention, in respect of accountability for service and provision and things going wrong, and in respect of professional development, both of speech and language therapists, but also of other professions. So, it's welcome that we're finally reviewing SEND in England. It's welcome that the government acknowledged that it isn't working, but the proposals as they stand are simply not up to the task of fixing it. Now, it's worth remembering always, Vicky, that the four nations of the UK have different systems here. So SEND in England, SCN in Northern Ireland, ASN, what's called Additional Support Needs in Scotland, and ALN, Additional Learning Needs in Wales. And there's been reform legislation being phased in in Wales for a while now, and the next phase is coming down the track. We've issued guidance from the Royal College. So at the same time as calling for more ambitious reform in England, we're also monitoring the changes as they take place in Wales to see what can be learned from that. So that's the issue of special education in particular. But yes, you were right in your question at the start, Vicky, that there are big UK-wide challenges um, on waiting lists, on waiting times, on recruitment. And you know, we, we, you know, we held a big listening event with members in children's services in June to address some of the challenges around 
ways in which emergency budget measures were being put in place and how we could make sure that those were appropriate for professional standards and ethics. Um, the NHS Confederation and BBC and others have recently highlighted again speech and language therapy, children's weights as one of the most egregious problems facing the whole health and care system right now as we recover from the pandemic. And it comes up again and again. And at some point, funders and decision makers need to look and see that speech and language therapy for children is a real pinch point. Um, in other news, the House of Commons Health and Care Select Committee have published a report on the workforce, flagging up our evidence and wider things that are needed on allied health professions. So there's a recognition of the problem, but we need to move from the problem to solutions. Okay, great. Thank you. I will put links with this podcast to appropriate resources that we have and um, that send review. Okay, thank you, Derek. I wonder what other issues are high priority at the moment? Uh, so people who listen to the podcast regularly will have heard me talk about mental health. Several things have come to a head in recent weeks. The Department of Health in England stroke UK has been consulting on a 10-year mental health plan. We've put in comprehensive evidence around all of the links to speech-language communication and also to swallowing and the role of speech and language therapy in respect of mental health based on the evidence um, dossier that we hold. The draft legislation to reform mental health in England and Wales has finally come out. And I have to say, we were very pleased with the way that, that speech and language was addressed in the consultation documents. The draft legislation does not go as far as we would have hoped. Now, not everything we want is going to end up, as they put it, on the face of the bill, in the wording of the legislation. But if we compare the draft bill to the consultation document, we have to say we have some worries and concerns. So the bill committee are doing what's called pre-legislative scrutiny through the autumn. Um, one of our strongest supporters, Lord Bradley, is on that committee, uh, and we're preparing to lobby hard through September, October, November, as the the bill committee looks at that, that draft legislation ahead of its parliamentary passage. People listening will also have um, heard me talk about the provisional victory we've had on mental capacity and being added to the regulations about being, where appropriate, able to assess mental capacity. Those regulations are out for consultation. We've now put in a very comprehensive consultation response, strongly urging that the draft regulations are brought into effect, and that would be the final victory if we get there. Other things that have happened, the Domestic Abuse Act, which we were very engaged with getting right. There were some gaps in the draft guidance to it. We're really pleased with the final guidance that's come out on the Domestic Abuse Act, taking a lot of our wording relating to speech, language and communication has the potential to make a real difference if it is properly implemented. We've responded to the UK cancer strategy. Uh, and I should also say on COVID-19, there are two public inquiries. There's a UK-wide one. There's also a Scottish one in respect of devolved matters in Scotland. So we're keeping an eye on both of them. The UK one, and by its own admission, is going to go on for years. You may recall the, the inquiry into the Iraq war went on for, I think it was eight years. Um, so this isn't going to be a quick process. They've divided it into stages, and what they're calling Module 1 is about the 
preparedness of the UK for a pandemic. So we'll come on to what happened during and after the pandemic later on. The first phase of this inquiry, um, probably for the next couple of years, is going to be focused on the preparedness issue. Now, we have a lot to say about that uh, as part of the, the Airborne Transmission Alliance that we've been in, both about protective equipment and about um, protocols for aerosol generating procedures and for, for airborne transmission of pathogens. And something that one of our members working in intensive care said very early on in the pandemic, this should have been sorted after SARS. So along with allies in the Airborne Transmission Alliance, we are bidding for what's called core participant status in module one of the COVID-19 public inquiry. I think those would be the top issues, but there are plenty more as always. Thank you, Derek. Yes, it sounds like... um... We're very busy, as, as always, on these things. OK. Are there any updates on the Communication Access work at all? So Communication Access UK, which is the the training and standards and brand around basic communication awareness training, and I hope um, listeners are aware of it by now, will be coming up to its second anniversary in November, continues to go very well. I think at the last count we had 60,000 people either taken the training or committed to it. We've got a number of new high-profile adopters in prospect, but I don't want to steal the thunder of some potential communications around that. Um, but please, members do continue to, and non-members too, continue to make use of and spread the word on Communication Access UK. Now, Linked to that issue of communication accessibility in its wider sense, um, we've got, for example, some work around DLD and co-producing with people with lived experience of DLD. What a what a DLD-friendly society might look like. Look out for that in the autumn. We're also going to Stammerfest, the the big um, the, the big conference organised by Stammer uh, in the end of the month. And around that, we've currently what what I believe is called soft launched uh, a statement around automated telephone services and the huge challenge that that can be. Yes, for people with disability, but for for other people too, whether it's dysarthria or AAC or a number of things. Um, that's now out there and available, but you should see us in the the period ahead following this podcast coming out, doing a much bigger push on social media and elsewhere as we move towards the, the stammering conference. Great, thank you. Look, look forward to um, seeing more about that. Um, and finally, what's going on in the nations that listeners should really know about, please? Well, Northern Ireland still doesn't have a government, um, and there's no prospect of that changing immediately. Uh, but obviously, we continue to, to, to work in spite of that. Um, a couple of things I've mentioned in Wales. Um, obviously, you know, we're speech and language therapists, so we have an interest in language. The, the context in Wales is interesting because you've got 20% of the population who are Welsh-speaking. And with a relatively small profession in Wales, you know, less than a 1,000 people, we have to make sure that we provide for the 20% of the Welsh population who are first language Welsh. Um, And also the particular situation you have where, as is not uncommon now, parents are English-speaking, but children are fully fluent in Welsh through schooling. Um, So... New strategy 
document, policy documents around health and care and the Welsh language. They talk about speech and language therapy as a priority, which is good, um, but you know, it needs to be planned, it needs to be resourced. Also in Wales, um, new strategy around neurodevelopmental. We've welcomed the fact that it has a whole system approach and there is a promise to have additional resource there, which will be great if it comes through. I think the main thing I'd say in conclusion, in Scotland, continue to keep an eye on the fact that Scotland is going to have what's called a national care service. Um, now, that phrase national care service is used to mean various different things by different people. Um, in the Scottish context, there have been some concerns about whether it just means shifting responsibility from local government to central government for care service and what that would mean in practice. But I think in the rest of the UK, we would be well advised to keep an eye on what happens in Scotland in respect of the National Care Service there. Fabulous. Thank you, Derek. That's a really good roundup. And I look forward to speaking again next month. Thank you, Vicky.